0: The NBA has had a disastrous last 10 days, culminating with an absolute gutless and embarrassing loss by the Celtics last night in Miami. Oh yeah, your favorite little podcast host is very cranky. Who knows what will come flying out of my mouth, so you've been warned. I'll also get into more South Florida magic as the Florida Panthers are just two wins away from the Stanley Cup final. Is baseball laying in the weeds, or has this season been rather quiet? An NFL legend and sports icon Jim Brown passed away as we look back at his life. Brooks Koepka wins the PGA, there'll be no drama at the Belmont Stakes as Mage doesn't deliver in the Preakness, and controversy with a decision in the Devin Haney-Vasily-Lomachenko fight. Strap yourself in because the first part of this is why I love to do what I do. It's all coming up, but first, this message. JREELS here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January sports rebel without a pause delivering fast-paced jam-packed sports talk like no other listen i gotta call it as i see it he is not a good player i'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise when does it stop and yes another winter that i can sleep in peace coming correct direct and in full effect let's get it this is the j world's podcast welcome aboard what Is happening, Michael? people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Just a few days away from the beginning of the late spring, unofficial summer holiday season. So as we continue to prepare for the arrival of longer and warmer days, the sports universe is always hot with plenty to get into over the course of the next hour or so as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For well, my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. What can we get into to start off this podcast, considering that we have two sports that are getting closer to their finals, whether it's the NBA or Stanley Cup, and funny enough, let's start off with the NBA, because my theme here to get us on and popping, let's take a look back last Thursday, no not this past one, the one before that, so this is now 11 days since we had the potential of four game sevens in the second round of the association, and the first game that led off that four game set Thursday night in Philadelphia was the Celtics, and we know what happened there in that game five, and for a team that for whatever the reason, and obviously I'm going to get into it, a team that has a trouble closing out, in particular the Miami Heat, they were able to do so in a game number six, to where Jason Tatum, who was god awful in the first three and a half quarters, was able to find his touch to get those four three pointers, those daggers that really put the Sixers out to sea, considering what took place there Sunday afternoon last week. And boy, how much the difference of a week makes. But with that being said, Tatum is 51 points, record setting in a game seven. The Sixers, no hard as we know, etc. Okay, fine. We look at the second game that night after Boston, Philadelphia, again two Thursdays ago, where the Denver Nuggets, who look like they are the team to beat, and I'll get to that in a little while, they were able to put up a statement win, as I said, in Phoenix to win by 25 points, to say bye-bye to both Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, etc. As the Phoenix Suns, who a lot of people thought they were already printing up the championship tickets and setting out the parade route somewhere in downtown Phoenix. Well, how did that work out there in a game six where the Nuggets just annihilated them? The next night you had the Knicks and the Heat, where it was tooth and nail, and Jalen Brunson, despite his heroics, coughed up the ball there at 92-90. We know how that played out. So the Heat were able to prevail, and no game seven there, and then the Nightcap was Golden State had no answers for LeBron as he had his biggest output offensive scoring in this postseason. And the defending champs meekly went into the night and back up the coast to where we had just the one game seven, which was a blowout by the time we got to halfway through the third quarter and leads us into these conference finals. So considering from that Thursday to Sunday, you had absolutely nothing. And we were hoping to get maybe two game sevens, dare I even say three or four, You only got the one and by the time you got to the end of the third quarter it was pack up and good night especially if you're Doc Rivers who as we all know got his pink slip and is on his merry way. Now as we get to the conference finals and we talked about game ones for both Denver and LA as well as the Celtics and Heat but I'm just going to cut right past all that because although I give the LA Lakers some credit Because they have shown some fight. They have shown some toughness. And granted that they did lose all three of the games here to set us up for a game four tonight in LA where the Nuggets are looking to get to some rarefied air considering where they're from in the Mile High City and how they are just this close to making it to their first NBA Finals in their franchise's history and knowing that this team is on a mission. I will say that and I'll talk about it a little bit more in depth later on. But for... What the Lakers have been trying to do, whether it was to come back in a game three, as we saw Saturday night when they were down by 14, and they slowly but surely chipped it away after the big first half there by Jamal Murray, and another pedestrian game for one Nikola Jokic. But this is the thing about the Nuggets, and this is why I think that they're going to be the team to beat, is that they've been able to throw so many different players at you, whether it's Contavious Caldwell Pope, who has that championship experience from his days in the bubble with the Lakers, winning a title in 2020. Or a guy like Bruce Brown, who is a glue guy. Yes, I understand his name's not sexy and he's not going to jump out the page. But he is not a fearful guy. He's going to try to make shots and do his thing. Michael Porter Jr., you'd like to see a little bit more. But we understand the talent level is through the roof. And this Nugget team, one more time, is looking to put the final nail in the proverbial coffin of the Lakers to get to that lofty perch for the first time to make it into an NBA final to have their floor painted their NBA Finals at the ball center or ball arena, whatever it's called. And they can not only smell it, but they can also taste it. And even with the Lakers and them trying to throw whatever they can at Nikola Jokic, at Jamal Murray and all the other players that I mentioned, they still come up short, but not necessarily small. And for everybody that was thinking, maybe the Lakers with this run that they've had here in the Western Conference, with them being a seven seed, almost, almost, have to play the second playing game because the Timberwolves had a lead going into the fourth quarter and had to push that game into overtime. And then we saw what they did against Memphis. We saw what they did against Golden State. And now, even with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and their supporting cast, they have way too much to handle considering that this Nugget team is a one seed. They've been a one seed pretty much the whole year out in the Western Conference. And now they're showing improvement and flexing their muscles to know that not only do they deserve to get to the next level, but they may actually win the whole thing when it's all said and done. So even though they haven't been able to get over that hump and try to win a game and who knows, maybe for pride's sake, they will come out tonight and give themselves a good effort and then set themselves up for an execution there Wednesday night in Denver. But at least they have not come up small, unlike the other team in the East, when it comes to the Boston Celtics. And what we've seen here over these first three games has just been, to me in my eyes, a blatant disrespect for the team on the other side of the court. And this is the same team that is comprised of last year. It's not as if they brought in another key piece. Obviously, it's not Kevin Love, so we can pump the brakes there. But the guys that we've seen, whether your name is Gabe Vincent, whether your name is Caleb Martin, who I forget when I talk about how just phenomenal that they've been here throughout the course of the series. When you look at guys like Max Strews, yes, we know Jimmy Butler. Obviously, he doesn't even need to be brought up here. He speaks for himself. And Bam Adebayo, who Jalen Brown was probably swimming somewhere in the ocean or Key Biscayne after that spin move there. And I'll get to him and them in a second. But I have to give it up to Miami and what they've done here so far. They have shown a lot of metal. They have shown a lot of toughness, a lot of grit. And I understand that Eric Spolster, and I don't want to hear it anymore either. With the whole undrafted players, how they've been able to find these guys off the scrap heap, how they've been able to just collectively buy into the whole heat culture, as I've said time after time after time, and it's become a thing where, ad nauseum, yes, we see that these guys deserve to be in the league, and we don't have to continue with that narrative about, wow, look at these this heat team, how they've just had these undrafted players just overextend and overachieve, but these are the same guys that were on that squad last year. And that the Celtics won in seven games. And I understand a different coach. And I understand even a different mindset. But I feel that there's been not just a disrespect, but a blatant disrespect. Because when that series began, I'm sure they probably thought, all right, we'll do our best to try to slow Jimmy Butler down and maybe bam out of bio. But those guys aren't going to beat us. We're not going to go to the perimeter and worry about them trying to drain threes. Because we're the more superior team when it comes to making three-point shots as the Celtics have shown, not only throughout the course of this postseason, but obviously in the regular season. And the Heat, think about this, people. We talked about the Lakers' trajectory into this postseason. The Miami Heat were literally three minutes and 47 seconds from being extinct after a putrid effort in their own right on the first game against the Atlanta Hawks, where the Hawks ran them out of the building. The Hawks! This isn't Dominique Wilkins, Tree Rollins, or even the team a couple of years ago that went to in Eastern Conference Final, which is pretty much the same team when you think about it, other than Deontay Murray, I get that, but, the Hawks just literally blew him out of the, whatever that building's called, Casilla Center, who knows, American Airlines it used to be, and now you had a scenario where they were down 90-87 where a guy, Kobe White was draining threes against them, not to knock Kobe White, but still, and now, They're literally one win away from going to an NBA final as an eight seed. And that's the theme in South Florida because eight seeds are making these magical runs, whether it's the heat beating the Milwaukee Bucks in the fashion, the way they did, or even the Florida Panthers, where they came back from a 3-1 series deficit against the Bruins. And both of those teams as eight seeds with the heat being one win away and the Panthers two wins away from getting to a Stanley Cup final. What's in the water down in South Florida? But the Heat, give it up. I cannot say or utter another bad word about them. Unless they happen to just read the press clippings and are going to puff out their chest to think that, yes, this series is over and the Celtics somehow, some way, get back to Miami for a Game 6. And that's where I'm going to look at it from there. Because what I've seen here in these first three games, like I told you about the blatant disrespect, I think, by the Celtics toward the Heat. And I don't want to hear about any surprises about how, oh, this Heat team, wow, they play great, they're tough, they're physical, they are a team that have a bunch of dogs, they just fight to the end, so on and so forth. Again, this is the same team you saw last year. So why would you have to take the pedal off the metal to think that if you're going to go into the series, even after a seven game street fight last year where you had to hold your breath for Jimmy Butler to not make that three at the end. At 98-96, or was it 98-97? I don't even remember. I think it was 98-96. So for this Celtic team that had the mindset going into this series to think that, oh, this is going to be peaches and cream, this should be a five-game series. I thought it was going to be six. And boy was I, and I'm sure countless other people were wrong. Now let's get to it. This Celtic team, for whatever the reason, as I talked about from the top, they were able to close against Philly. And I understand Philly, you can't compare them to Miami. They do not have the I know I've said toughness a zillion times here but that's the first word that comes to mind. We know that Philly they're more of a soft team. But the sad part is the Celtics aren't that far behind. Because what we've seen here in these first three games they couldn't close out game one where think about this. They had that run where they led and I'm getting my games mixed up. That was more game two. But how do you give up 46 points in the third quarter of game one to the point where the Heat then were in cruise control. It's not as if LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh were on the team. It's not as if they are an offensive juggernaut. In fact, they were ranked at the bottom in points scored in the league throughout the regular season. And also think about this, people. And I don't want to pile on Gabe Vincent. I know I use him as my whipping boy, so to speak, because he's a guy that a lot of people, well, they know who he is now. And I remember who he was even last year as he made a contribution. But this year, he scores 29 points in a game last night. A career high. Career high. Making threes all over the place. He's looking like Steph Curry. And Caleb Martin is looking like Klay Thompson. So we have the Splash Brothers Part 2. That's number one. But the second thing is, think about this. Gabe Vincent in that aforementioned game against the Bulls. Where they had to fight for their lives. Just to get out of that playing scenario to make it into the postseason. How many points did he score in that game against the Chicago Bulls? Do you know how many? Take a guess. Did he score five points, ten points? Did he make any contribution in the game where he had his fingerprints? Where, oh wow, he was a contributing factor as to why the Heat were able to prevail and get into the tournament altogether? Gabe Vincent scored as many points as I did in the game, and I don't even play. He put up a fat goose egg. No points in the game. Look it up. And here he is, in a Game 3, in their building, up to Love, and he's looking like Steph Curry. 29 points. So if you mean to tell me that this team, Celtics that is, had zero respect or very little respect for one game, Vincent, well, maybe they will change their outlook here as they try to save themselves from just a complete and epic collapse and embarrassment tomorrow night in a Game 4 and getting swept out into Key Biscayne, into the ocean, and right back up north to Boston. This Celtic team, even in game two, where they had that run there, where they made it 13, and then all of a sudden, the heat just kept chipping and chipping and chipping, and the Celtics couldn't make shots, to the point where, at the end of game two, and I understand Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I'm going to get to them, they didn't score any points in the fourth quarter, especially in games one and two. Now, I know Tatum had a bunch of free throws in game two, but he didn't make a field goal, Same for Jalen Brown, and... During the final few minutes, especially at game two, when you watch these possessions, where they're just erratic, whether Marcus Smart, who, as he's getting a pass, Butterfingers just drops the ball and gives it to the other team. Jalen Brown forcing passes across as if they were being intercepted by a, thrown by a rookie quarterback, where the secondary just picked it off and went the other way for a pick six. Or Jason Tatum as he's trying to get to the basket and it looks like it was the first time he ever stepped on a basketball court. Watching those final few minutes of game two, I said to myself, wait a minute. They might as well have me out there playing basketball. And now let's get to last night. Because just when you thought, okay, this team has not played well at home in these last two years. I get it, two different coaches with Udoka and now Joe Mazzulla. But what was that effort last night? That was as low, as gutless, as putrid, as embarrassing as I've ever seen a Celtic team in the playoffs ever. And I could go back to, I know they brought up the biggest blowout or biggest deficit as far as a loss goes. That 47 point, I think it was game one, when they lost to the Orlando Magic. That was when the Magic went to the finals that year. But the Celtics had nobody on that team. Dominique Wilkins was on that team. That's all you need to know. And he was far peak Dominique from his days in Atlanta. So I'll just leave it right there. You had the Game 3. This is the game that comes to mind. NBA Finals, 84. Now, I understand, Jay Reels, what are you coming out saying that? You're talking about Larry Bird, Robert Parris, Kevin McHale, a team that won a title three years prior against a Lakers Showtime team. No, I understand. But my point is, is that Game 3... They got ran out of the forum. Magic Johnson doing all types of no-look passes and just getting to the basket at will in a 128-104 final, which was similar to the final score last night, by the way. And what happened in Game 4? The clothesline heard around the world, Kevin McHale to Kurt Rambis, and Kareem going at it with Larry Bird, and the Celtics prevailing in a Game 4. Now I understand we're talking about a Celtic team that's had Hall of Famers. And this team has had a Hall of Nothing. But with all that being said, we get into last night. And you think there'd be just a little bit of fight, a little bit of stick to itiveness to try to show some grit. And what did you see? By the time that game was in the second quarter, and Jimmy Butler getting fouled and pointing at Grant Williams. And yes, I didn't even bring up that scenario with Grant Williams in game number 2. And yes, give it up. He was the only guy that showed any type of will, any type of I hate to use the word again because right now my brain is just all over the place. But yeah, he was the only one that showed up. I'll just say that. And yes, Mozzola should have took him out after the second basket that Butler made in game 2 where he gestured too small. Because right before that, if you remember, Grant Williams hit the three. And he shouldn't be joining at Jimmy Butler to begin with. Let's start there. But then, when Butler got the and one and they went nose to nose and forehead to forehead at one another. And the next possession, he backed them up and got the basket and went too small. He should have pulled them right then and there. Because, or at least switched and put somebody else on Butler. Because that just added more logs to the fire. But now, last night with Butler pointing at Grant Williams after a foul. Or getting down to one knee, as Al Horford did early in the series, calling a timeout, and Butler doing that to the Celtics. They are just toying with this team. And one more time, there's no LeBron James, there's no Chris Bosh, there's no Dwayne Wade, and even before that, there's no Dwayne Wade 2006, no aging Shaquille O'Neal, there's no Mike Millers, there's no Shane Battiers, there's no Antoine Walkers, there's no Gary Paytons, none of these players are on the team. These guys have overachieved and have gone above and beyond anything or any expectations that any basketball fan or sports fan could ever imagine. And now let's get to it because I'm going to wrap this up real quick and talk about other things. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, if they haven't looked in the mirror when they got back to the hotel rooms and hopefully they didn't go out in the town last night in South Beach. I would hope that they had their tails between their legs, and that's every guy on the team to a man, but those guys in particular. If they didn't go back to their hotel room and look in that mirror to say, what in the hell has gone on with this series? What in the hell has gone on with me? My play, execution, etc. Then they shouldn't even show up tomorrow night. They shouldn't. They should just pack their bags and say, you know what guys, we're just going to quit. You guys have just dominated us. We've just been flat out played outcoached everything, hey, you guys go ahead and play Denver and away we go. Because if they're not going to show any gumption tomorrow night, and I'm not saying that they need to win, can we at least be in the game and try to close out a game for once in their lives? Because if they don't do that, this team is going to be a much different looking team come next year. Who knows if that means Jalen Brown, I don't think they would trade Jason Tatum, I really don't, but I think Jalen Brown could be out of here, and he has just been beyond deplorable. Same for Tatum. I'm not get, He's not getting off the hook either. Jalen Brown, chugging up threes with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, and we understand he's a three-point shooting team. There is no secret, no surprise, I get that, but he's chugging up shots as if, the hell with it, I just want to get out of here. If it goes in, it goes in, if it doesn't, it doesn't. What is he shooting in this series for, from three? I think he's like two for 30 so he's made two more three-point attempts in the series than I have and I don't even play and it's just been beyond awful how this team has just not even shown up and there's going to be some changes and I think the coach as he said in the post game put it all on me put it all on me put it all on me he couldn't say anything else and sadly he's going to be walking that plank on his way out because Witt Grosbeck and Steve Pagliuca, the ownership of this franchise, they're not going to stand for this. They're going to say, wait a minute. This team took us to the brink last year. And I understand that maybe it was Miami's year to win if they would have won in six or even seven games in Boston. All right, fine. But this? And who knows where they're going to go to get a coach. Will Hardy went to Utah, if you recall, last year. And who's probably going to be the next guy if Udoka didn't implode behind the scenes. And I understand that's a conversation maybe for the middle of the summer or when free agency comes up where all the rumors will start percolating at that time. But this team has just been an eyesore and it's just been tough to stomach. And if they do not show up for one last fight, even if they go down fighting, it's way too late. But at least you could say, all right, they didn't roll over the way they did last night because I have not seen a performance like that in a playoff game by a Celtic team, I think in forever. And not even that 47-point game against Orlando. Uh Uh-uh. Now, they played over like dogs in other games, but at least the outcome wasn't the way it was where literally Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were on the bench for the whole fourth quarter. And they deserved that. So now we had these 10 days culminated by that game last night. And do I think the Lakers or the Celtics could win a game? I think they can. Do I think they will? Now, let me just cut right to it. I think Denver is on a mission. This team is looking for that championship round. They are looking to get themselves into that final. And it's going to be against Miami. There's no way either one of these teams are going to come back from an 0-3 deficit. It hasn't happened in the history of the sport. And why is it going to happen now? (laughs) Obviously for Boston. Maybe the Lakers, I would say they have more of a shot to win tonight than the Celtics do tomorrow night. But with the... Lakers, I would think that LeBron does not want to go out this way. I think that they're going to find a way to win this game tonight. It's not going to be pretty. It's probably going to be ugly. But I, for me to even say that is a lot because everybody knows I can't stand the Lakers. But I'm sure they probably saw what happened there last night in Miami and they said, oh wow, they're going to go out like that? Well, guess what? We're not going to do that. And not to say Denver's going to let up because I think Denver, and I won't be shocked if they win the game, And in fact, there's a part of me that wants to pick them. But I think the Lakers, because they played and they're a little bit more together right now, that's where I think they're going to win the game. And again, LeBron is a big fan of the NBA and sports overall. So I'm sure one more time, he saw that last night and he said, oh, no, 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 we're not going out like this. No way. And they haven't. Well, I think the Celtics tomorrow night, I think you're going to see some flashes. I think you're going to see some moments. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get out to a big lead. But I can't trust this team. I said this the other day. What makes me think that if they have a 14, 16, 18-point lead somewhere in the first half that they're going to spit it up and next thing you know, more threes by Kayla Martin, more threes by Gabe Vincent, Jimmy Butler, pointing fingers, etc. And the next thing you know, it's a fourth quarter game and it's tied. You think the Celtics are going to have enough guts to get them through the fire and back to Boston for a game five? I don't think so. And I don't want to hear Adam Silver, and I think it would be a good final. I will say that. Denver, Miami, think about it. It would literally be a David versus Goliath because you'll have an A-C to Miami who we understand. They have a little bit of a pedigree. They went to a final there in 2020. Obviously, last year what they did, and then now they're on the cusp of making it to the finals. So it's not as if they're the little engine that could. They're the little engine that needs to go one more hump in order for them to get that brass ring. But on the other side of that is a Nugget team that has been front-running all year long, They've been that one seed, as I mentioned, and now they could get taste getting to a final and knowing that they'll have the home court in the process, it's going to make for some interesting storylines and certainly the most unsexiest matchup of them all because Adam Silver and all the NBA suits last night, you know that they choked on their Cabernet Sauvignon and their all potatoes and their kale salads last night knowing that the Celtics put up the stinker of all time and that Lakers Celtics the bonanza and having LeBron part of that whole rivalry to bring to the entire nation and maybe to the global aspect of the NBA fan from the South Bronx, South Beach, South Central, South Pacific and all points beyond. Ha! You can absolutely forget about that and knowing that you ain't going to get close to a Lakers Celtic final. You might as well watch all of the rematches or all the hardwood classics on NBA TV to get your fill on Lakers Celtics because you're not going to see it this year and I will just leave it at that as for the NHL and they're going down the same road too when you think about it and funny enough there are a lot of parallels between the NBA and NHL here as I lace up my skates now think about this you had a scenario where you've had in the first four games of the Stanley Cup semifinals, all of them going to overtime. So you haven't had the blowout game. You haven't had the team who hasn't shown up or haven't, hasn't shown any guts, this and that. Hockey is not really that type of sport anyway. Because in the NBA, you know, a team goes on a big run or a couple big runs and that's it. Where hockey, it's very rare you get that 7-0 or 8-1 to type game in a conference final or a Stanley Cup final. But the reason why I bring it up is because you have the parallels here are just so similar. You've had both series in the NBA go up two love, and in this case three love, where in the Stanley Cup semis, you've had the same scenario where Vegas has gone up on Dallas two love before they go back home in the Western Conference, which is similar to Denver winning the first two games in LA before going to LA. And then in the East, you've had the Carolina Hurricanes, who were the two seed, and the Celtics, as we all know, were the two seed, going up against the eight seed in the Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, that is, where the Celtics going up against the eight seeded Heat. And what happened? The Panthers have won the first two games on the road going back home, similar to the Heat and what they've done. And they both won their games in overtime fashion, both on the stick of Matthew Kachuk, where I got to give it up to Kachuk. After the second overtime goal in game two, they happen to be on their end of the ice where they would go into the dressing room and how after he scored the goal, he pointed toward the boards and said, come on guys, let's just get off the ice. Let's celebrate in the locker room. That's it. Telling his team that yes, we could be euphoric. We're up to love. We're going back home. Yes, we could puff our chest out. No, 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 no. His leadership has already been shown. And he showed that last year when he was traded from Calgary to South Florida where he said, come on guys, let's just get out of here. Let's go into the locker room let's celebrate a little bit, but let's get on a plane, go home and let's try to ice this series so we don't even have to come back in this building to play a game five. And that's what I saw in Magic of Chuck and boy, kudos to him and what they've done here this postseason. And Sergey Bobrovsky, I got to give it up. I can't say anything more about his goaltending. Now we all know that could change the drop of a hat, but as to this point, he has been more than anybody would have ever expected considering his recent track record. not only just in the regular season, but in the postseason. Do you just have to look back to the series last year against the Tampa Bay Lightning or series prior to that? And for Florida to get to this point, where they'll have a game three tonight, and Kachuk, who's been the conquering hero there down in Sunrise. And on top of that, they had the four-overtime game in game one where you had the scenario where they could have actually won the game in the first overtime, but Colin White was interfering in the crease with Frederick Anderson the goaltender and because of that the goal was disallowed so they had to go not 1, not 2, not 3 but into the 4th overtime and with 12.7 seconds left before Kachuk banged it home and skated off into the night with a 1-0 series lead which is now 2-0 and the Panthers are in good stead whereas the Vegas Golden Knights they've had their own heroes to boot Well, their name is Chandler Stevenson yesterday as they got the Overtime winner and thanks to Jonathan Marshall Show with about two minutes left to go and he's had a great run here over the last couple of series where they were down 2-1 and I know the stars in the post game said that they made way too many mistakes and to have that goal and you just knew it. Once that goal was scored and the Golden Knights tied it, something in my gut told me that Dow's going to lose this game and sure enough, not deep into the first overtime, you had Stevenson become the hero and the Golden Knights are now two wins away from getting back to the cup. In which they did in their inaugural rear back in twenty eighteen. And Dallas, yes, they've been nip and tuck and played tooth and nail, but they haven't been able to get that key goal. And mind you, you had that wild third period in game number three, where they were able to get the equalizer there late. I believe what, Jamie Ben with about a little bit more than a minute to go. No, it was actually it was the goal was at 1801, so less than two minutes to go in the third with the empty net and a man pulled, or the goalie pulled, they were able to get the game-tying goal, and you probably thought then and there that, oh, maybe Dallas could somehow steal this game and make this a series. No, that was not the case. As you saw the Golden Knights get the goal there, which they actually could have had the goal with the open net, but they banged it home off of Edinger, the goaltender there, and the Golden Knights are up to love to the point where even though these games have gone into overtime and even though they've been thrilling and that's the beauty of Stanley Cup playoff hockey. But you have a team that's going to go home up 2-0 and a team that's on the road going back to their building down 2-0. Now, will any of these series have length? I picked Carolina to win at six only because they are a team that have been together. They've been very steady, defensive oriented and they haven't been able to score goals. And the Panthers can. They have a lot of good goal scoring threats on that team. And they haven't been able to deliver. Where Dallas, we know that they've been a puck of the bounce here. Some mental errors. Right, they could have won game one. And should have hung on the even win yesterday. And it could be up to love in the series. But that's not the case. But the NHL, as it is, they're going to have a cup final that they may not like. Now Florida and Vegas will have a little bit of appeal because you'll have that same scenario. Just like I said a few minutes ago, the parallels between the NBA postseason and the NHL postseason. You may have a matchup of an eight seed in the Florida Panthers against a one seed in the Vegas Golden Knights out West, which would be Denver, Miami all over again, but on ice. And I think that would be the more compelling series if you're Gary Bettman and company, because the last thing, you don't want Carolina there. Nobody could pick out five players, and I'm sure you can't even pick out three players on the Panthers, but a lot of people know who Matthew Kachuk is. People know who Alexander Barkov, maybe not to a man, but the sports fan knows, and Aaron Eckblad, the defenseman. There are people that know. Carolina, they're a nondescript team. Yeah, they're defensive, but they don't really have a star on their team. What? Turo Taravainen? I mean, seriously? And Andrei Shvetsnikov, who hasn't seen the ice, as we all know, throughout this postseason? No. People aren't going to gravitate to those type of guys. Kachuk is a fiery guy, hard-nosed player, goal scorer. That's one guy that you can hang your hat on. He's their version of Jimmy Butler. So the NHL, Florida, Vegas, that's what it's looking like right now. And even if it's Florida, Dallas, uh, I'm sure they don't want that, although Dallas is a big market. But Vegas... I would think that Gary Bettman and the suits there at the NHL offices, they would look at that and say, hey, we got a David and Goliath matchup, although it may not be the case considering that hockey is a totally different beast when it comes to this because we all know the hot goaltender or the hot goal scorer could supersede anything that the top-seeded team can do. And the last round of the conference finals here For both of these sports, the fall and winter sports, NBA and NHL, right now, are looking like a snooze fest. And granted, the NHL games, they all gone into overtime. I understand. It's not as if these games have been 5-1 or just ho-hum affairs. They've gone right down to the wire and to the sudden death in these first four games. But with both of these series up to love, can the Stars come back? I think they can because they're at home. And to me, if Florida plays from in front tonight, forget it. I can't see Carolina coming back from that. And as we all know, South Florida is far from a sports hotbed, but right now, oof, with the Heat and the Panthers, I tell you, you may have a double dose of some championship fever there when it's all said and done. I don't think the Heat are going to beat the Nuggets, I'll say that, but I can see the Panthers beating Vegas. And if you're in Sunrise or off of Biscayne Boulevard at this very moment, you got to be pleasantly surprised and pleased about how your hockey and basketball teams are going. And let's just see how the rest of this conference final between Dallas and Vegas, as well as Florida and Carolina goes. And who knows, by Thursday, you may have a scenario where we're talking about clinching games in the NHL, or dare I even say this, NBA, as I close this one out, and I didn't even mention this before, but I'll say it now. If both series are sweeps, where by tomorrow night at around 11:30, the heat dust off the Celtics, where the Lakers couldn't get out alive tonight, you have count them nine days between tomorrow night and game one of the NBA Finals. If you don't think anybody's gonna to pay attention to that final, boy, the NBA's got something coming from them because by then it might as well be out in the wilderness. They might as well start that on the 4th of July, if that's the case, because nobody at that point will even care. Now, as I lace up my cleats, get in the batter's box, as we get into a little baseball, and is it me, or has this baseball season been either laying in the weeds where it's been good, the way the times of these games have just flown by, and how the sport has really gotten a facelift with all these rule changes, or is anybody really paying attention That's how I look at this baseball season, because we understand that once you get into this part of the month, where a lot of the focus is on the NBA and NHL, and then we just had the PGA for the golf fan that's out there, and we know that there's been a lot of other news and notes throughout tennis, where the French Open will begin next week, and I get it, it's not on everybody's radar, but baseball, for whatever the reason, I think, as we're just a week away from Memorial Day, has been kind of low-key, almost like, eh, nondescript. And yes, we talked about the Rays and the great start that they've gotten off to. And we talked about some of the struggles with teams that have not been able to get out of their own way. Now, thankfully, the Mets have gotten back on the beam here. Winners of five in a row in in dramatic fashion. Beating the back two or three against Tampa and then sweeping the Guardians over the weekend. But you haven't had a good grasp or even good feel. Even if you're An average baseball fan or just a good sports fan to where, yeah, you're going to follow your team or you're going to, on a day-by-day basis, see what's going to happen, as of course with myself, I'm going to follow the Mets, but for the rest of the sport, it's almost as if, eh, and not to say that's a bad thing, but I don't know, maybe once we get past the championship rounds and both the ice and hardwood that we could maybe now look at baseball a lot more in depth because that's pretty much going to be the only sport around, besides a lot of the rumors with the NBA offseason, NHL, as we get ready for, dare I say, two months from around this time, training camps in the NFL. But for baseball, listen, you know I'm always going to be fully invested. And yes, I understand that other things are more important this time of year. And what we're able to get a grasp of as, again, with Memorial Day being that barometer, not necessarily it's, that first quarter of the season, because we're already way past that. But Memorial Day, you get a better feel for how these teams may take into shape or form. And I already mentioned about Tampa and what they've done, but how about the Orioles? They go up to Toronto and sweep the Blue Jays, and they had a bad week too, considering they lost three out of four to the Yankees, and they had all that nonsense with Chirpgate and the scenario with Domingo Herman. I know it's more of the Yankees, but still... They had a bad week there and then to get swept by the O's over the weekend, which makes a fascinating series upcoming. Three-game set in the Bronx starting tomorrow where the Orioles will invade Yankee Stadium. So that's going to be a very compelling series as the Orioles have a three-game but four in the loss lead over the Yankees in the AL East. So that's one series that we'll pay attention to when we get closer to Thursday in the next podcast. You have Jose Altuve come back from that thumb injury he suffered during the WBC and didn't really... Put too much of an imprint. What did he bat? 222 over the first three games. But don't look now. The Houston Astros are certainly back where, maybe not where they once were, even though Framber Valdez had an excellent game there yesterday as he got himself a sweep. Now, mind you, they played the awful Oakland A's, and they're on a pace to break the 62 Met record of 40 and 120. They're currently 10 and 38. And if you do the math, they're going to surpass that. They'll be lucky to even get 40 wins this year with the way they're playing. And who knows, there may be a stretch where they'll play 500 and I'll balance out. But right now, the A's are just, you might as well put a triple A team against them. And who knows, they may actually have an opportunity to beat them. Now, I know it's a big diss, but you know what I'm saying, people. Please don't take me literally, but at the same time, the A's are that bad. But with Altuve back in the mix and now just two games behind the Texas Rangers in the AL West, That's something to keep an eye on. As far as the National League, the Padres, they have just been god-awful here, and who knows what's going to happen in San Diego. Now, it's a little bit too early, but Bob Melvin, you got to wonder whether or not he could corral this team to get themselves back on track because they have not played well at all, and they're going to be east this week as they go to Washington. Maybe that'll be a panacea for some of their ills, but they could barely beat the Kansas City Royals at home, so what would make me think that they'll have success in Washington? And then they'll invade the Bronx over the weekend to start off the Memorial Day festivities with three games in the Bronx. So that's not going to be an easy series for them. So the Padres, who are currently 21 and 26, and the Dodgers, who have played very well here as they have gotten back on their lofty perch, but also give it up for the Arizona Diamondbacks. A lot of people thought that this was a team that could surprise people, maybe be in the wildcard mix late in the year. And right now, they're just one game in the loss behind the Dodgers. Now, do we think they're going to compete for a division? I can't say that right now. And a team that has a lot of young players, good players, led by Corbin Carroll, the guy that they signed, what, eight years, hundred and some odd million. So that's one guy that you're certainly going to hang your hat on if you're a Diamondback fan or a baseball fan that can look and see that, yes, this is going to be the leader of this team moving forward. But for the NL West, we would think that the Dodgers, even with their pitching now tattered and torn, Dustin May, as I talked about on Thursday, had to leave a game with a forearm strain. So, that certainly does not help when you don't even have Walker Buehler there. And then Julio Urias, their left-hander who's going to go into his free agent year upcoming, had to leave with a hamstring strain and he's on the 15-day IL. So, the Dodger pitching staff is certainly going to take a hit here. They may come back down to earth. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that and see how they fare here over the course of the next couple of weeks. And then the Mets, as I mentioned, they went from fourth place up to second place as they're now two games over 500 after just some putrid baseball there for the last three and a half weeks. So let's see if they could get themselves right as they go to Chicago this week. They play the Cubs for three, which they've never really played well at Wrigley Field before going to Colorado there over the weekend before hosting the Phillies next week. For the first time this year. So that's what you have there with the baseball. Because other than that. Not really much. I know the Cardinals have played better. As they dug themselves out of that deep hole. There in the early part of the year. So let's see if they can get themselves back to 500. They're still six games under. But they played a lot better. So we'll wait to see what's going to happen there. The Pirates are hanging in. The Brewers have not played well. As they're just a game ahead of the. Pirates who got off to that great start. They've certainly fallen on hard times. But they are still hanging around for how much longer? We shall see. But baseball, that's pretty much what you have there. And then the AL Central, I know that the Twins, by default, are going to win that division unless the Guardians have a run in them similar to what they did last year. Because if we recall, August and September, they just ran right through the AL Central and won a division and actually had a pretty good postseason as they beat Tampa, as we know, in those two games during the wild card and then gave the Yankees all they could handle by going to a fifth game at Yankee Stadium but that's what you have in baseball so far there really isn't much else to dive into or even discuss so when we take a look at baseball in a whole hopefully once we get to next week and maybe even to the middle of the week especially with that Oriole Yankee series we'll take a closer look at that but baseball has been for the most part under the radar even with the quick games, which I love, and with some of the rule changes that have made the sport a lot more exciting, and I hope it's gravitated a bunch of new fans as well as the old fans alike. But I guess once we get deeper to the summer and we think that the cream would rise to the top when it comes to the top heavy nature of baseball with the competitive balance that we would think Seattle would be up there, as well as Toronto, although they've hit some the skids here, but We know there's going to be some separation. So whether or not the Pirates can hang in there, whether or not other teams, Texas has, you know, they have a big payroll. So we expect them to be up there this year, even though that they have not been good over the last four, five, six years. The Orioles, we would expect them to play well. And a lot of these teams that you think, maybe even Arizona, can they hang around? Those are the teams that I'm looking at here as far as making this a long, hot baseball summer To where it's not going to be just the usual suspects, and pretty much seating for both the American League and National League are going to be set before Labor Day when it comes to the playoffs. So that's what I have there with the baseball. As I put on my helmets and shoulder pads, in a very somber and sad note, Jim Brown, one of the greatest athletes that this country has ever produced, and no if, ands, butts babies about it. I understand he's before my time. But he is the greatest football player to ever play in the 102-year history of the National Football League. And we can take a look at the area he played in. I get it. There were no 300-pound defensive linemen, and you didn't have linebackers running at a 4-2 where they're way about 260, 270. Totally get it. But we can't fool Jim Brown for that for the time that he grew up and that he played in. But one thing we do know is that at two, two 215 pounds, he was a man among boys. A guy who has been an all-pro, what was it, 8 of the 9 years. Led in rushing, God knows how many years. A guy who walked away at the age of 30, who was the all-time leading rusher in the sport. The prototypical running back. A guy who was just a bulldozer, but also had lightning speed. We know about the type of athlete that he was going back to his days at Syracuse. Not only was he a top lacrosse player, football player, track, basketball, you name it. The guy was just a freak of an athlete. And this is going back to the 50s. As much as we talk about freakish athletes today, whether your name is Giannis Antetokounmpo, whether your name is even to a certain extent, maybe I shouldn't put him in his class, but Lamar Jackson, because he's an elusive quarterback who's able to, the guy's a video game. But for Jim Brown and for what? He embodies the city of Cleveland, blue collar, a guy that was a superstar in his own right, but at the same time had a lunch pail mentality. A guy that would not only just go through you, but he'd also go around you. And the prototypical running back, and yes, there's been many others after him that have surpassed him as far as the all-time rushing lead, where... It was Barry Sanders who could be as elusive and juke you out of your cleats. Whether it's a guy like Eric Dickinson who had that upright running style, who was a gazelle in the open field. Walter Payton, the epitome of a running back when you talk about just sheer will, toughness, just graceful. His nickname was Sweetness. What more can you say about him? Emmitt Smith, diminutive, but with tremendous heart. We can go through all these running backs, but no one was Jim Brown as evidenced by his career, as evidenced by him stepping out at the age of 30 to pursue acting, and what he did afterwards, becoming an activist, becoming a guy who was the focal point of gang violence in South Central L.A., trying to split up the Crips and Bloods and try to not have the black-on-black violence that we've seen that has been pervasive in this country, especially when it comes to the inner cities and what he did there and his work, his charity, etc. Thursday died at the age of 87 as announced by his wife on Instagram. And not only did we lose an NFL legend, but sports lost an icon. Because when you're the number one player in the history of a league where it is impenetrable, it is bulletproof, it is the shield, and you are the guy that stands amongst all the other greats that have played this game, then you know you lost somebody enormous thoughts prayers condolences go out to the Brown family 87 years of age he lived a tremendous life and we understand he also had his shortcomings too off the field which obviously we won't get into but he was a guy that was one more time not only was a men against boys he was a giant amongst those men that he played against and when you think about an immortal football player he is that guy all right, let me get to a few other things before I sign off, the first one being the PGA in the books, and this one I didn't really gravitate to, people, I must admit. I know it was in upstate New York, there in Rochester at Oak Hill, and with the way the weather was, especially Saturday, I was indoors, and I tried to get into it, but it was just, uh, I don't know. The PGA, unfortunately, out of the four major tournaments, is the fourth, and that's why it was predominantly on the back end of the golf calendar up until the last, I guess what, four or five years, where this month you had no golf tournament, and then of course you'd have the U.S. Open during Father's Day weekend, followed by the Open out in the British, and then of course the PGA, and even though it was compelling early on, and you had my guy Scotty Scheffler, who I picked to win the tournament, and even though he made his moves on the back nine there yesterday to pose a threat to a one Brooks Kepka. But when you open up the final round, as you already had a two-stroke lead off the top of my head, and then for him to shoot three straight birdies to start to open up a four-shot lead against Victor Hovland, who played very well over the weekend, and also Corey Connors. Now, Hovland and Scheffler, like I mentioned, they made their moves on the back nine to see if they could pose a threat to a one Brooks Koepka, but he was able to hang on and win his third PGA, fifth major title overall. And I understand a lot of that talk, even Bryson DeChambeau, who as we all know, he and Brooks Kepka certainly aren't drinking buddies. Although they've warmed up to each other a little bit, especially after that. If you remember a couple of years ago when we had the tournament, is eluding to me, the Ryder Cup. Thank you. Jeez. I'm over here trying to rack my brain to figure out what that tournament was. If you remember a couple of years ago where you had DeChambeau and Kepka, they won that tournament. And at the end of it, they were hugging each other and Justin Thomas came out and said, come on guys, hey, we just finished a victorious lap where we were finally able to win as we know that the Europeans always seem to beat the U.S. when it comes to the Ryder Cup and they warmed up to each other a little bit. But even Bryson DeChambeau said, you can't say anything about the live golfers anymore because of what we see not only in the Masters and how they competed there, including a the one Brooks Kepka, but now in this tournament. So you have to really put that to rest and put that to bed because of the 54 holes that they play and they don't play in big-time surfaces or big-time, you know, country clubs, golf courses, etc. So, for the Bryson DeChambeau's and for the live golfers, including Brooks Kepka, they can hang their heads high and know that, no surprise, that they can hang with the Rory McIlroy's. And he's another story, which I won't even get into. I don't want to pound on Rory McIlroy as we discussed a little bit there on Thursday and especially what happened there at the Masters not making the cut etc but good for Kepka. third PGA now let's see if he could go on and win a Masters as he wasn't able to do now we have to wait till next April to see if that will happen but Kepka shows why he is one of the top golfers in the world the likes of Cam Smith and even Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm etc and Rahm didn't have a really good tournament either so and you kind of expected that considering that the Masters Champion, who has been flying from the start of the year, to do that in back-to-back tournaments, not going to be easy. You're going to face a little bit of pressure. And Rom, who had a bad tournament for him, a real bad at that. It was a plus seven overall, so you couldn't find him with a GPS roadmap and a magnifying glass. But give it up for Kepka as he wins. And now we get set for the US Open, which will take place next month. Again, during the Father's Day weekend. Well, that be the 15th through the 18th. So, the third major golf tournament will take place then as we continue to move on this golf season. Now, let me get to tennis real quick because some startling news came out this week about Rafael Nadal and the French Open, which begins a week from today. And we know Nadal has been the king of the clay surface and the king of Roland Garros. Well, we're not going to see him at all, not only during that tournament, but for the rest of the year because of this hip ailment that he has. And you also have a couple of other guys that aren't going to play in this tournament including Nick Kyrgios who had an incident with his mom in a robbery where he injured his foot. You also have the other Italian player Matteo Berrettini. He's not going to perform. So I'll talk more about the French Open there next week which looks like it's going to be Novak Djokovic's uh, tournament to lose unless uh, one Carlos Alcaraz has something to say about that. But for Nadal who as we all know is a master when it comes to playing at the French and with this hip injury, he even stated that he is not going to play the rest of this year and that 2024 is going to be his final go-around, his swan song, and say goodbye to the sport as injuries have mounted and they've caught up to the all-time great 22 Grand Slam titles in his back pocket tied with Novak Djokovic, which would have been fascinating theater if Nadal was healthy but we're not going to get that. So for Nadal. That is a tough break for tennis. Because even though you have the young upstart with Alcaraz. And you still have other good players on the tour. Whether well, your name is Daniel Medvedev or Alexander Zverev. And the likes of players with that ilk. And who knows with Kyrgios. If he's going to even come back for Wimbledon. And we know the type of run he had there last year. But that is a big blow. And knowing that Roger Federer retired last year. And when we think of this generation of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and Djokovic is 35 I believe, or maybe 34, he's a year or two younger than Nadal, the beginning of the end of this generation of these players are now starting to come into play here, and let's see if Nadal, I'm sure he's going to do his damnedest to get himself as re-energized, as reboot, recovered, whatever it may be, in order for him to make this upcoming year or next year I should say a big one for him so we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen but the French Open is going to take a huge hit on the men's side because when you don't have a guy like Nadal there who I understand 14 tournament wins there and after a while it becomes okay yeah just Nadal and everybody else but knowing that he's not going to be there and Djokovic is going to be the favorite to win who knows could be a very ho-hum tournament especially on that side of the draw so I'll have to take a look at that Then you have the horse racing scenario where you can forget about the Belmont. It's an afterthought. Now, Mage did run a good race. He ended up third, but National Treasure is your winner at the Preakness. At least Mage performed, unlike Rich Strike last year, as I talked about over the last couple of podcasts. So for those who were thinking maybe a triple crown threat was in order for one Mage to see if we could get to the Belmont with some excitement and some hoopla, uh -uh, not the case as we have that go down the tubes from the events that we saw in Pimlico there, Saturday around 6.30. And then finally, I didn't watch this fight. I know this Devin Haney is a guy that is on some people's radar, and I know who the guy was. He's a lightweight. He's a guy that is up and coming. Who knows? Maybe he could be an opponent for one, Gervonta Davis, as we talked about there a few weeks ago, with his fight with Ryan Garcia. But based on a lot of the things that I read, and a lot of the things that I've even heard, that Lomachenko got robbed in this fight and whoa shocker that a boxer got robbed in a decision there by the judges and it was unanimous that Haney won on all three scorecards where Lomachenko a lot of people thought he was the the aggressor and granted on two of the judges scorecards in the first six rounds I believe Haney won four of them but it was the back end of the fight that a lot of people thought that Lomachenko was the better fighter was the more aggressive fighter and yes he did throw more punches but he had more misses so we could look at those percentages and say oh wow he was able to connect more and yes he did have a lot more impactful shots throughout the course of the fight based on what I have read but now I didn't see it so I can't really judge it and base it on that but obviously what you read is what you're going to read and I went down a couple of rabbit holes to just get a better feel for this Even Lomachenko's managers said that they're going to protest, which, all right, pump the brakes on that, because we all know that's going to be an exercise of futility. But for Lomachenko, who, in his own right, with everything that's happened in his country, Ukraine, and what he's had to go through, and he's still living in Ukraine. So, this is a respite for him, considering what he's got to go through in his war-torn country. And I'm sure he probably feels slighted, he probably feels jobbed, and who knows if there's going to be a rematch at some point down the road. But Haney lives to see another fight, and we'll get to wait to see if Javante Davis is going to be on his radar. I would think that's going to be for maybe sometime next year, if I had a guess. I think that would probably be too soon for those two guys to square up in a ring. But you had that there on Saturday, and again, boxing, maybe not a black eye because it wasn't a fight that was everybody was paying attention to, unless you're a the wool boxing fan, but for Haney, he, he was able to come out there alive and Lomachenko, he has a lot of questions to be answered, especially by those judges as to why it wasn't a closer fight or at least a split decision in that regard. So boxing, another step back in a sport that, of course, as I've said, time after time has been on life support for at least a decade and a half. But that's what you got, people. And that's what one hour encompassing in this podcast, doing what I love to do. Where else are you going to get that? Please tell me, my ears are wide open. And listen, that's not to knock anybody else that's doing this type of format out there, but I would love to know from the listener, from people who follow me, etc., where else are you going to get this on the one podcast where I discuss anything and everything that happens in the world of sports. So with that being said, I do thank each and every one of you for jumping on board, listening to me babble, spew, and just go all in. On everything that's happening in the world of sports. Your participation is never ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. As I mentioned at the very top, just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, I post daily YouTube channel at J Reels. So please go there, subscribe, like, leave a comment, etc. The other social media accounts, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, jreels1, just the number. Or if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, even that if you want, please feel free. Or a suggestion, you could do so at the Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send to me, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com, slash Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this endeavor, to the upkeep of the website, to the equipment, to anything and everything to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, and informative. Because one more time, people, whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do. This is in the blood. This is in the DNA. And if you couldn't figure it out by now, then I don't know. You may have to come back on Thursday to listen to what it is I have to say then. Because I'm sure over the past hour, you heard nothing but fire, passion, energy fury with my thoughts opinions analysis critique praise on anything and everything that happened on the world of the diamond ice gridiron hardwood golf course racetrack tennis court boxing ring octagon you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where I am to wherever you are the J Reels Podcast always comes correct direct and in full effect from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond peace, love and God bless everybody and until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the flip baby